You haven't lived till on a hot summer's day, stripped to your shorts. You play like crazy in the spray of the water from a fire hydrant. Ear your body screaming because it's so much fun. You haven't lived till you watch from the window, the sun rising over the tops of ragged houses, eyes fixed on the orange face as faint hints of heat fill the spaces in your cheeks. For a moment you ponder life's meaning. You haven't lived till you played to near midnight, hide and go seek, red light, green light, and dodgeball. Then you get called in for baths and bed, eager to do it all over again. You haven't lived till you hear the endless arguments between a man and his woman. Your little eyes watch in horrific wonder as she soulfully screams for someone to beat out the engulfing flames. He sets her on fire because he needed more money. You haven't lived until you feel the small fingers of a child desperately clutched around your neck. He thought you had left him, but you were only in the next room. Then you have lived. Welcome back to the Black and Row podcast. I am your host, Tino Kada, Tondarai, Lanzabaya. And what you just heard was a poem called Living by Orlando Taylor. Um, and Orlando is who I speak to today. Orlando comes onto the podcast today to talk about his book, Book of Poems, called My Scars and My Birthmarks. And so we talk about a lot of good things in this episode. Um, we talk about some of his feelings um, before he released his book. Um, it's a 20-year project, sort of. Um, and you find out a bit sort of how he's feeling before doing that. Um, we also talk about uh, the Harlem Renaissance. We talk about the impact James Baldwin had on his life and how addressing social issues had helped him. Um, we talk about being a creative. We talk about the concept of Ubuntu a little bit. Just mention it. Um, we talk about a lot of good things in this episode. Um, connection and disconnecting and are we connecting in society with each other? Um, we have some positive and some negatives about that. So yeah, it's a really interesting conversation um, and I'm sure you guys are gonna love it. Um, but before we get started, if you just take a pause, breathe, and just ask yourself, how you doing and how are things going for you in your life right now? So, I hope things are going well for you in your life right now. Um, if they're not, I'm sending you some positive vibrations through the microphone. And if they are, I'm still sending you some positive vibrations through the microphone as well. So, I hope things are going well. Um, so, before we get started, um, I chose this poem for a reason. Um, and if you can just figure that out as you're listening, um, I think you'll, you'll understand why I chose it. And so, um, yeah, 
I think that's it, guys. Um, you guys want to listen to this conversation. Don't hear me blabbering on anymore. Um, and so here is my conversation with Orlando Taylor. Orlando, uh, welcome to the Black and Royal podcast. Um, it's really good to have you on. Good morning. Good morning, Tino. It's good to be here. I'm glad you, you know, to be on this platform. I'm honored, you know, for all the good things that you do on this platform and you have me over here too. Ah, <laughs> uh, bless, bless. I mean, you're part yeah, of the yeah, community yeah. anyway, so I'm always Thank happy you. to have people that are, on, that are part of the community on the podcast. So Appreciate um, it. Appreciate it's, it. It's a shame people can't see your shirt right now because it's totally cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Trying to keep it, even no matter where I'm at, trying to keep it very black and very proud, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I like it, I like it. Um, so, Orlando, um, I would have already sort of said a bit about you um, in the intro. So what I was just wanting to do is sort of just uh, to pick your brain a bit more about um, your book that you uh, released um, and to talk about many different topics with you. Um, sure. So to start off with, um, your book, uh, My Scars Are My Birthmarks. Um, can you just tell me a bit about that and tell the audience a bit about it and sort of uh, what led you to want to release it? I wrote the book. It's been uh, kind of like a passion of mine uh, as a, uh, to write a book of poetry. And I think that the uh, because I've, I've been such a, a great reader or average reader my whole life and writing has been one of the all my life has been one of those. I guess I say one of those really positive escapes for me to kind of like express myself and kind of like uh, kind of get some like cathartic expression of who I am and, and the things that I've, I've experienced. And I would say for this book, it was one of those situations where I felt like, you know, you're going through things in life and I just start exploring the various um, things in my life, the various situations in my life, people in my life, uh, issues as a black man, you know, that have touched me and how they've touched me. And so it, it kind of it kind of morphed into this book where I'm kind of looking at my experiences, you know, through poetry with people with and with this country, as well as my own internal, you know, turmoil and trying to address that through my poetry. So I believe there will be things in there that will resonate with uh, a number of different people and there may be things that, that may not resonate with uh, other folks, but I believe there's something in there for e- everyone. Um, and I can say uh, everyone to, to kind of like connect with, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I think it's one of those where we're at a time, I believe, as you know, where people really trying to, the black community really trying to address a number of different things that have happened, whether it's traumatic things that have happened in the community to bring uh, a new spirit of peace and togetherness uh, amongst us as, as we address those things. Yeah, definitely. Um, and as you sort of said, um, I was like reading sort of the stuff that you sent me about it um, and mm-hmm. talking about ch- uh, challenging topics as such of love and relationships and uh, in terms of how we show that, but also sort of um, our relationship with others. Um, yes. So talking about uh, being black in America and so uh, I think that's all really actually quite interesting and in the form of poetry as well. Um, has poetry always been something that you've done? Like, is it, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, has poetry always been something that you've always done and sort of grabbed it's, it? It's, it's, one of those things, it's one of those forms of writing seemed like it affected me very early in my age. I can remember as a kid in middle school and high school uh, doing Black History Month or just doing certain times when we were studying writers. We would, when we talk about particularly the Harlem Renaissance,
Renaissance era uh, in the United States and just a number of powerful uh, authors and writers that came out of the era speaking to the experience of black people, you know, historically as well as, uh, you know, currently at that time. And when you read those poems, even today, many of those poems still resonate with you today, you know, from the issue that that expresses. And it not only speaks to the power of their writing, but it also sometimes it also speaks to um, from a negative side. It speaks to that despite all the 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 progress we may have made, no matter where we may exist as black people, there's still a lot of progress to be made. And, and as you know, there's still a lot of issues, uh, social, economic and political issues surrounding our blackness, you know, where we exist. And so it, it, it's just one of those things that's just really just kind of like really touched me like how you can say so much in a short form, you know? Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the Harlem Renaissance. Um, Mm -hmm. For people that maybe don't know as much on that, I don't know as much on that. Can you explain what that was out of it? Sure. Harlem Renaissance was a period after, I would say, the economic fall of the 29 uh, stock market crash from like 29, I would say up until the early 40s, you had this really prolific period where you had black writers who were, uh, whether it was in uh, uh, newspaper writers, uh, journalism, whether it was political writers, uh, individual literary writers, they're really very prolific in pushing the narrative of progress for African-Americans in that area. And it was such a powerful thing because it was being done through the medium of, 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 of literature. And African-Americans, as you know, in this country have always been looked as being, you know, less than with respect to their intelligence and their ability to communicate and write. And so it was very powerful that you had now you had the nation focused on writers like Langston Hughes and Maya Angelou, who was early on, who was a child, who was a very young writer at the time, but very connected to people like uh, uh, these prolific writers of that era. And these writers ended up influencing the writers of the 60s, people like, you know, James Baldwin and Malcolm X. And even 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 though uh, Martin Luther King was not a writer, those people's thought process, those those uh, political ideas that they were pushing and trying to get the United States to adhere to uh, constitutionally. Uh, that permeated the community and I think actually pushed, you know, the narrative forward for us all. Yeah, no, that's quite interesting, actually. And I think it's always, it's, it's always great to see Black people sort of proving, uh, proving everybody else wrong, proving what society thinks about them. And you've got people like Maya Angelou. I, haven't, I don't think I've read any of her books, but when I've been talking to people, she seems like she's quite like an accomplished writer. Um, yeah, and also James Bolden as well, who I'd love to actually discuss with you, because um, mm. you because when we were talking before, um, and anyone that sort of looks up your stuff uh, will see that James Bolden had um, kind of impact on you as a young child. Um, yes, definitely. So, so could you talk to me a bit about that as well? It's weird because, and when I say weird, because I was so so young when I came into knowledge of who he is as a writer. I was a, a young teenager. I would say probably thirteen or fourteen. And I got a hold of a book called Just Above My Head and just reading that book, you know, and one of the main tenant characters, central characters is a young African-American male who is a singer and itinerant preacher within this, uh, you know, Southern kind of uh, historically there's been, you know, you know, the black church has had a a huge uh, um, uh, a huge influence on the black church. And so 
Uh, he, in doing that era, he was what you consider to be a product, or excuse me, a proud, uh, a child prodigy with respect to the church, you know, the yeah. character. And so it just follows his life. And a part of his life, he realizes that he's a gay young man. And, you know, James Baldwin is addressing that along with other issues uh, within the church, as well as, you know, other societal issues that surround this young man as he's going through his life and trying to be the singer at the same time and navigate the world as it, you know, as it treats him as a black man as well as it would treat him as a, a black man who's also gay. And so that was really powerful for me because, you know, in that era, you know, uh, up until I guess probably the last, you know, 15 years, we haven't had really things such like uh, marriage equality and, you know, rights to protect people from violence in various societies simply because they're not heterosexual. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that was very powerful. And, and, and it, it resonated with me that you could have someone who could be so bold as to do those to write in such a manner at that time. And so, you know, early on, it started, hope, it started encouraging me to be less and less afraid of who you are on, on various levels, you know, not just yeah. that, not just the issue of being gay, but also on the issue of just being black issue of being and, and, and expressing yourself. Because a lot of times I find that no matter where you go, black people are muted uh, just matter of factly, you know, you always hear, you know, be careful how you speak. You don't want them to look at you as an angry black man, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. So it's almost, yeah. we have an automatic, we have like a societal mute button that, you know, you don't want to be labeled as angry black man. So we lost the time we pull back and we don't speak when we should speak. And I think, um, that's what in, in, that, that type of writing, you know, I think it, it, it encouraged, encouraged me to do, to do the writing that I'm trying to do now. Yeah. So like by the like by the sounds of it, so what I was hearing from you is that um because James Bolden was able to sort of express himself in his writing and show representation which was maybe not being shown at the time, it sort of allowed you to begin to be yourself more and be open about being you and who you are. If that's yeah, well ultimately I won't say it was like this 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 you know fast you know uh, uh slope or whatnot, but I think over time as I've been to appreciate who I am and and to love who I am and and kind of like those things in the past, his writings, you know, kind of began to echo back to me, you know, as I you know got older, I believe. Yeah. I was um I was reading something also about James Baldwin um mm-hmm. and about his first book, which was I think it was Go Something Over the Mountain or Go Back to the Mountain. Um, uh Go Tell It on the Mountain, yeah. Don't tell it on the mountain. That's it. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yes. and he was talking about how that had to be the first one he wrote because get like going going back to the mountain he was his father and sort of getting over his his relationship with his father, um, mm-hmm. which I thought is quite like it's quite interesting. Sort of as a writer, that he was able to use that sort of maybe not I don't know if therapy is the the word, but sort of like cathartic that he could talk. Yeah, about. yeah. I mean, writers need yeah. therapy. We often sometimes are just as <laughs> uh, we often just as disconnected, or should I say, or sometimes uh, schizophrenic as everybody else. Yeah. The only the, the the one thing that we have sometimes I feel is is our writing. Uh, because writing can be a very, uh, a very solitary practice. You know, when you're trying to write, you're trying, you're oftentimes in spaces. So you have to be, that's why I like the pandemic. People are like, how are you handling the pandemic? I mean, as a writer, you know, writing, you know, even though I have my nine to five at the same time, the writing, it's, you know, it's, it's perfect for a writer. Yeah. <laughs> not only the, not only the content that's happening out in the world, but also just the, the amount of, uh, uh isolation you have, you, you, you should, it, it, it you know, in the process of that was one of the things that kind of like in the process of writing and finally putting this book together, I should say, 
the pandemic is one of the things that kind of encouraged me to do it because I had the time. I had the yeah. wherewithal. Whereas when you're on a nine to five and you have to um, drive to work, you have to be concerned with a whole bunch of things after work and those kinds of it, you're, you start seeing your time being occupied by other things, whereas this pandemic has allowed me to, you know, uh, reclaim, as uh, Maxine Waters would say over here, reclaim some of that time mm-hmm. and be able to use it and be able to use it effectively. And that's and that's where I, why I was able to to put this book out, I believe, because of the pandemic in the weirdest way. I guess, you, yeah, like, you know what? I've heard that a lot recently in terms of, like, mm. people started people started things in the pandemic which they would have never had the space all the time mm. to think about it. And so to yes, bring, when all you've got is time. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. And, and then it gets into other things because, like, excuse me, I was telling people as a creative, I find myself trying to do other creative things. So... Like, I don't like I look at my ability to, you know, uh, envision other worlds in my writing. That's a creative process, of course. But I also say a lot of I tell people, like, don't be afraid if you're a creative person to try other things to kind of like for me, it, it simply is it, 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 it continues and encourages the, the creative spirit in all aspects. So I love listening to a lot of different types of music. I love working with digital software. I love trying, you know you know, my hand at, you know, digital art. So I've been trying to create some digital art to post around the house, you know, and that thing, it keeps, for me, it just keeps me continually creating new things, no matter where, you know, what type of medium I'm using to create and, and as music as well. So you often find people like, like, like I've, I've been exposed to hip hop artists and you find hip hop artists, not only they're great lyricists, but some of them actually sing and some of them actually play real instruments. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, I, I always tell people, don't be afraid to try something new. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Find, yeah. find another thing that, that encourages you to, to be creative and express yourself. Yeah, true. Definitely. Like in terms mm-hmm. of what you said, like even like rappers, like I am T-Pain. I didn't know T-Pain like has an amazing singer voice, but mm. you, never, you never hear it just because. Yeah, because he, he spent so much time on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's funny what you bring up there because a friend of mine was talking about him. He said, you know, he was saying how he he has all these uh, lamentations now about how people complain about how auto-tunes and he kind of proliferated the use of auto-tunes and blah, blah, blah. But uh, and, and, you know, people sometimes look at him like, you know, it was kind of destructive to, you know, the music industry or whatever. And I'm like, you know, to a certain degree, you can see where some people might have a valid point there. You know, it's great. You can, you, you know, you're showing, you can sing now. The question is, is why didn't you do it then? Well, yeah, yeah, true. Definitely. <laughs> you know, so, but hey, anyway, but yeah, I agree with you. You know, you got to, uh, those having those, and I'm sure you, you too, you know, you have this very creative mind where you're trying to do things in your community and get, you know, black men talking to each other and engage. But I'm sure from our conversations, you, there are other things that interest you, you know, as a creative and, you know, and saying you can't help but keep your fingers in those things, you yeah, know, yeah, and it keeps yeah. you going, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, I yeah, look like, at it. I look at it. I look at it. I'm sorry. I look at it as a kind of right. like this. I, I, I constantly look at myself as like kind of like go back and reclaim that little boy who was like eight to ten or eleven years old, and look at you know what was those things that really made you laugh and laugh genuinely in that age, right? When you were eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, what are those things that really interested that made you like, oh my god? And sometimes you have to like rebuild that spirit and stuff, and remember that and start. For me, I had to start looking at life like that. And that re- reminded me of how 
I'm not a Christian and I don't really have a religion, but I can remember reading where, you know, you have to, you know, in order to, you know, really be a Christian, you have to kind of like become a child again in order yeah. to, to relearn that love that you used to have, how easily it was for you to love other people without a whole bunch of conditions on. Them. And so in a similar fashion, I feel, but I, I feel like that's really an African way anyway, though, you know, Uhuru and Ubuntu are concepts you're familiar with. And that's really about you teaching children very young to share. Don't be selfish. You know, yeah. if you're selfish and have everything, then the whole community has nothing if everyone is just hoarding stuff. You see what I'm saying? So it's that kind of thing. And, and that kind of spirit just like, just, I don't know. It, it's kind of, it's akin to what people call that black boy joy, I guess, or I call it black boy juju, your magic. <laughs> I like that. That's how I look at it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I look, I know, I know juju can be pejorative for some people, how they think of it, but juju is just another term for magic in a different community. And so it's neither negative or positive. It's when one uh, I remember talking to this one Babaloa uh, uh, from Nigeria and he was saying, he said, it's all about intent. If you believe in magic or the spirits of energy, he said it's about the intent. And things are ne necessarily negative, you know, because, you know, most African cultures don't have a concept of a devil. Yeah. A lot of it's, 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 it's typically because I think most societies historically our, our societies thought about, you know, it's about your intentions. Something bad might happen, but if your attention was not for the bad to happen, we don't like destroy you because of the thing that bad went hard. We try to figure out and work it and bring it back to some a place of healing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that that's makes, what I yeah. no, that, makes that seems to be a more African that that's exposure to not only the black community, you know. It, I feel like in the black community, we have shadows of that in the United States. We didn't lose everything despite white supremacy was quite thorough in taking from us. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. You still kept yeah. your, like, even just when, like, the music that was being made, sort of, um, mm -hmm. like, when you hear, I, I, I don't know where it's from. The only thing I can think of is when I've watched 12 Years a Slave and you've got people singing when they were, like, when they were enslaved people, but like mm -hmm. the, the spirit inside can't be sort of tampered. Like you'll always be there. Exactly. There'll exactly. always be an outlet for it, no matter it, it, what. It's kind of like Fela Kuti said, you can't, you have, Fela Kuti was always, he said, you have to be careful with this music. It's a very spiritual thing. And he said, this has been like music. When you think about it, it's one of the early forms of communication for our people, not only just the dramas, but just singing, you know, and communicating, you know, when before words were a big thing, we had melody, you know what I'm saying? We had the drum. And so, he, you know, he always says, you know, I've watched him in, in interviews that, you know, you have to really be careful about tampering with the spirit of our music. He said, because it's a very powerful and purposeful thing. Yeah, what was his name again? Fela Kuta. Fela Kuti. Fela Kuta. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, he has son, you know, he has a couple of sons and a grandson who are playing like uh, Seung Kuti, he's uh, his youngest son. And then he has Femi Kuti. And uh, the youngest, I think, uh, Femi Kuti's son, uh, Made Kuti, is now performing. So they have a very strong historical uh, uh, musical, you know, spirit in their family that, that that's very powerful, you know, that just speaks to how important music is to our people yeah. communicating. Yeah, yeah. I really, um, I really wanted to sort of also come back to the point when you're talking about um, mm -hmm. it's like a sense of, uh, like a sense of play and sort of your inner child. Um, and I really liked how, like hearing you talk about how writing was that for you and reading gotcha. and sort of create, like, as you are, like you said, you're creative and sort of being able to create worlds and create stories. I think it's just important for us all to, and I've had a conversation like this similarly with somebody about 
yeah, getting our sense of play. But I think it's just always important because, like, as adults, we can always get bogged down with adult things and adulting. Yeah, things, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Adulting it keeps parts. you sane, I believe. Yeah. I believe it keeps you sane. I believe it keeps you it keeps you level. It's kind of like a balance in your life that you have all these very powerful things as an adult that you need to address, but you also have to balance it by, you know, remember, remembering who you are, that you're a total person that you have uh, mental, physical, spiritual needs as well. And, and you have to address those things. And I honestly, again, you know, this pandemic, I think, has brought that to the fore, that we need to address a lot of mental and spiritual issues that we have that I, that have kind of given some people a sense like a, almost like a malaise over their life and you know and and you have to come like I said reclaim who you are you know so I look at myself I remember sometimes you know about being a kid because I was like that uh I don't know if you watch the boondocks from the United States at all but um this is called show called the boondocks and there's a character called Huey Freeman uh, show is by Aaron Magruder based on his uh, his newspaper comic strip uh, okay. from years back. So anyway, the character uh, Huey Freeman, this is this is his name, and so it's a you know combination there of Huey P. Newton and the last name Freeman. So Huey Freeman, so the character he reminds me of myself because he's very much uh, you know a kid, but he has trying to find the balance between the foolishness of life as a black kid and the things that you really need to focus on. So a lot of times when things are going bad, he has this kind of attitude, you know, a lot of this wouldn't be happening if we just all sit down and read a book. (laughs) So so that's kind of like where I was as a kid, you know, when sometimes when a lot of mischief was happening with the fellas and the gang, you know, when I say the gang, just a group of kids hanging out in the kid, riding their backs, getting into, you know, normal kid trouble. I might've been reading a book or I've had, I had early on, I asked for a microscope. So I was looking through a microscope at butterfly wings and, 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 ant wow. legs and stuff like that so that's kind of who that's kind of who i was as a kid so i would be like when everybody's riding their bikes i first have to do those things and then i come outside and everybody be gone because i was too busy working with my telescope or microscope <laughs> and they and they went riding without me so that's that's kind of the kid i was and i just kind of you know made um over time i reclaim those things and and i yeah. think that helps me be be, be a level-headed and complete person that's awesome. That's the sound yeah. of hearing you as you were <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, definitely. Like, I think when I was a kid, like, some of the things, I would be those kids that were riding bikes because riding bikes for me, like, we lived, yeah. in, we lived in a little grove and, mm-hmm. like, being outside, like, making forts, like, sharpening sticks, like, as their swords, you can fight each other. With yeah, them. you did that too. Like, yeah, yeah, did that too. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, man. We put together, we would also put together uh, the box cars, but we didn't have, we were young kids, so we couldn't mess, we didn't have permission, like, to mess with motors. So we would get, like, a a plank of wood that's probably about 12 inches wide and about four feet long. And we take the wheels off of a wagon, put them on the front and the back and then take an old milk crate. You know, you guys probably have yeah. a mask, the, plas- the plastic milk carton crates or whatever. Yeah, and you cut it out so, so you can have a seat. And then you have somebody in the back, you, you put all, you drill a hole in the back of it and you take a mop handle and you use that to push you. And we had, where we lived at, we were lucky because we had like alleys that had heels. So yeah. they push you down. And so we had these boxcar races with these makeshift, you know, wooden. <laughs> that sounds like so much lots of, fun. Lots of fun, lots of injuries, but it's like you have to remember those things. Yeah. You have to remember those things that, to keep you, I think it keeps you sane, it keeps you level set. 100%. Um, yeah, yeah. And when you, um, what do you call it, when you mentioned um, COVID, 
um, that you were able to, uh, when I was reading up, when I was reading up about you, you it said uh, that this was sort of like a, all your poems were at like a 20 years old journey, like mm. all your writings and how you had to yeah. connect all of them up together. And mm-hmm. so when you had the time in COVID and you finished it, how did it feel like releasing this sort of maybe 20 year project like this 20 year baby oh man it was like it, i guess i could you could say you're just like an adult with a child you, you're you're <laughs> wringing your hands and they're going out the door and you're wringing your hands and they're going on the college but they're going to you're they're they're only taking you with them in spirit they're not taking you physically with them as a parent if they're going away and so it, there was a lot of uh there was a lot of hesitation and fear and then I, you know, after a while, I was like, you know, you guys, they're not going to like it. What if they don't like it? What if I hate it? What if people trash? What if nobody even ever reads it? And I said, and I, had to, I, I had to pull back. I thought about Lauren Hill. And when she did that live album, she did, she wrote a song, I think it was called Rebel. And then she was saying how when she was writing a song, she, she finished it, she kept going back and editing, editing, editing. And as she was editing, she felt like she was chopping away at the, the real intent of it and the power of it and the significance of it. So after a while, I had to like stop myself and like, you know, and just like trust, you know, the process and trust my own writing, trust. Uh, you know, my education and you know, my professors who've seen my work and say, you know, I told you, you're doing, you're doing the work, you're doing okay. And, and press publish <laughs> and just sit and just sit back and just, you know, go, Hey, and it's ultimately, you know, been a, a very, very positive experience, you know, I've been received well, you know, from respect to interviews and those who have read it have posted some, you know, positive things to say. So the goal is for me, it's not necessarily about the money as much as it's about, engaging people and hopefully having people speak not only of my work, but speak of the content and hopefully it gets them to talk about and address things in in themselves as well. Yeah, definitely. And it can, you know, what? it always is scary sort of putting out something, especially something you've worked on for a long time, because I feel like then Mm -hmm. it sort of builds the, builds the hype to a certain extent or well, the hype in your head is sort of like right this has been a long yes. time right? i need this needs to be perfect because it's been crafted right. for this long and so i think it was just really brave of you just to be like right at the end of the day it's going to come out i have to put it out so that, right you know? and it's never going to be perfect and that's one of the things you do there's never a perfect a perfect thing and um one of the things that also helped me was uh i believe it was the uh it was either my angelo or it was the nikki giovanni and someone and I was reading them an interview because uh, I like to read interviews of writers just to kind of, you know, see, you know, understand who they are and understand how you know writings affect them and, and what they think about being a writer and, yeah. and uh, that kind of thing. And one of the things I can't remember exactly which one of the, the sisters who said it, but she said that the vast she said the vast majority of, of the greatest poets work is mediocre. And that struck me that not only that she would say that, but it struck me about the writing process. She was simply saying that even the best writers miss the mark as from, from what you would think of it, you know, you know, that they are not always every poem, every uh, book, every essay is going to be hitting perfectly on all cylinders, you know, of content, yeah. of, of, of quality of writing, of, of interesting writing. And it, it's just not. So you have to at some point, just respect you as a creative person and not be afraid to like to do the thing that you you said that is as part of who you are you know that's your life you know what i'm saying 
And I think that was those kinds of, when I thought back about those things, those were really kind of finally got me to just, you know, to let go and be okay and be comfortable. Yeah. And just, uh, yeah, that's, that's um, like, that's quite a powerful thing that um, I forgot Maya Angelou or which one. It was either Maya Angelou or Nikki Giovanni, but I haven't yeah. found out which one. Um, yeah. But either way, like it, that's quite a powerful thing because I feel like we can yeah. sometimes you just get paralyzed in perfection and sort of like it has to be this certain way. Like it has to be the perfect time for me to do this or to do that. Like at the end of the day, there never is going to be. Um, like even starting this podcast for me, like I at the beginning, I was like, oh, you know, when you get that sort of imposter syndrome, I was like, oh, who am I to to talk to other black guys other black men and sort of mm-hmm. show black men what it's meant to be to be black and uh, and right. like all these things even though that's not my necessarily intention but right. you just sort of are like mm, i don't know but i like i've started it and i'm kind of like i'm loving it um <laughs> yeah and it's like to have one little a luminary a legend you know to luminary to say to they're boldly saying hey don't worry about it I, as this writer that you're hearing and you think so highly of me, most, a lot of my writing isn't the best either. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there. So yeah, that was very powerful for, to hear uh, a great writer say something like that. Yeah, definitely. It's always nicer when also the people you view as great are not as great. It's like, oh, it's right. Great. You know, not as great they're, they're like, not afraid to show that they have chinks and they're not afraid to show that they have chinks in their arm. You know? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess one thing also, which I um, which I would love to sort of understand um, mm-hmm. when you were um when you were sort of putting your book out there, um, I was reading that there was sort of a time where you sort of hesitated and your niece said something really interesting to you. Um, was it, I think it was your niece that said something? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, and yeah, so I guess, would you be able to just tell my audience a little bit about that? Because I, when I read that, I think it was really such a wholesome moment. Yeah, it was um, my niece used to uh, she's no longer with us. She uh, got killed in a car accident right before the book came out. And I was talking to her about it and I was was expressing some of my doubts to her about releasing it. And (laughs) she was she had this. She was just like she was just excited. She was like excited for me in a way, you know, that you don't get all the time from people. You know what I mean? You know, like you see these commercials now where you see these little kids who are like, encouraging another little kid that you can really do this. You're great. You're awesome. That's what we were having like that moment right now. And she was like, this was great. This is awesome. This is something we need. This would, you have to do this. You have to do this. And then we'll figure it out. I'll come to the state side and we'll do a party for you and everything. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it just really, it just kind of like to have, you know, a person in, you know, in your family, like, just like, pushing you, literally like pushing you from behind and like, you know, like a wind, you know, you're not going to. And then when, you know, she was involved in a car accident, you know, right before releasing it, I was like, I kept, I kept hearing, you know, her voice, you know, from that moment, from that, yeah. from that conversation. And it was like, you know, this has to be done and it has to be done in a way just for, for her as well. Not only for me. Yeah. That's right. And yeah, it's it was. like kids have that like just that natural energy in terms of like mm. like it's excitement and it's not coming out of any ulterior motive it's like it's pure and that's what makes it better right. and, like, and, and the thing what and the thing is is that she had that she and I were similar in that because she's she was actually an adult she's in her 30s and she had done she's a, a, a she's a fitness trainer down there she had done uh, uh, pageants down there in the Virgin Islands where she's from as well so she had this very creative very outgoing spirit you know she's kind of like 
like amongst her friends because I had a chance to talk to them. She was like this light amongst her friends and stuff. So she very much had that similar kind of, you know, spirit that we were talking about earlier about keeping so that you don't lose yourself. And so that's why it was like, you know, I really felt like we're two little kids talking in that moment on the phone. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you know how you could be ever seen like little kids talk to each other. They're having like they're like really animated and they're, they're not, they're really not having like a deep layered conversation, but they're really animated about yeah. the conversation that they're having. <laughs> and you like, so you, I, I love that, you know? So that spirit from that conversation was kind of like that last push to, you know, to, to make me sure I did what I said I was going to do. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. That's glad yeah. to hear. Um, yeah. And so I guess what I want to ask you, so why, the title, uh, My Scars and My Birthmarks. Um, where did that come from? What were sort of your ideas on that? Well, I would say because I felt like um, it's about not only your personal trauma, but also just going through life. I feel like we're born into this world and we often, you know, from a fickle state, you say, where's your birthmark? Where's your birthmark? You know, like people have, well, I, my birthmark is I have a strawberry on my knee and those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all cutesy kind of things, you know, whatnot. But then I guess I start thinking about it that in this life, you know, as we grew up, we, my brother once told me, he said, no one escapes childhood un- unscathed. And it made me, and I start thinking about that, you know, that what is it, uh, how am I, uh, how am I, un, you know, coming out of what, what's, what scathed me, so to speak. And so I started looking at, you know, the things, and not necessarily that I grew up in a, in a, in a violent household by any stretch, but just the things that I saw, just the things that I, not only affected me, but the things I saw happening to the greater black community as a whole. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, we come into this world and as we go through this world, we, we constantly getting uh, these damages, you know, to our spirit, sometimes to ourselves physically. And it, and it becomes like these damages on your spirit become like a birthmark of your, your, your survival of your life, of you being, you know what I'm saying? Of you existing, yeah. you being alive. And that, uh, that is a proof positive of your existence in this world. And so that's where that title came, that my scars are my birthmark. So the scars show that, you know, I've been born into this world and this is what it is. And, and you got, and, I'm, and it's an encouragement. And I'm hoping that the book is an encouragement that despite the fact that we, we, we do get scarred, that there's life, there's still a great deal of beauty. We've, we've been laughing a great deal on this podcast today. And we've been that's talking true. about a number of different, we've been talking about a number of different traumatic things or issues that have affected us or affected the black community. And we're still laughing. We're still here. We still feel with a great deal of hope. And I often, you know, try to my own self, you know, I, despite all of, I often tell people, I said, despite all of the, the, the deeply negative things that are happening in this world right now, and we could have a whole nother podcast to address those uh, things. That's you, know, you, know, you know, exactly. <laughs> we can do those things, but, but at the same time, there's still, there's still hope in the world. There's still hope in you being, otherwise my thing is then we all should just commit mass human suicide. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you've got to find, you've got to find the light in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Or you've got to, yes, sir. you know, when they say that if, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Um, <laughs> it's like one of the shorts, but I, yeah. I think it's just like I think there's nothing you sort of there's nothing wrong with sort of understanding that there is there is deep things in the world that are going on, but like sometimes you just sort of 
need to be able to laugh or need to be able to have moments where yeah. there is joy because it just makes the whole experience of life better. And genuine connections with people, you know, you know, um, you know, we often talk about how connected the world is and the world is small now because of the internet. But at the same time, we still have, you know, there's still times I feel like despite all how connected we, we are, we don't really use the internet, you know, to develop the types of relationships and that we really want in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we use it a lot of, I find, on a time, a lot of times I feel like the, we've allowed the internet to be weaponized against us to keep us from being more connected in a more positive way. So I don't know, but I, I just think that like, I think you have to find ways to have really honest and genuine connections with people. Otherwise, I think for me, if I can only speak, I guess I speak from my own perspective. When I when I have when I don't have those connections, I feel like I'm less less human. I feel like I'm less understanding. I feel like I'm less empathetic to people mm-hmm. and what they're going through, you know, yeah. and I don't think that's a good I don't think that's a good energy to have inside. Yeah, I think. Um, com- sort of coming on from your point in terms of connection, like you know what we say that we are more connected, but personally to me, I feel like sometimes we're maybe more disconnected because mm. we're mm. not taking the time out to sort of enjoy conversations and like weirdly, like even though one thing which I have loved about the pandemic and Zoom is that we we can have conversations and we can be connected with people, like. You're where you are, it's 9 a.m. in the morning, and I'm here at 5 <laughs> Like, we can have a conversation and still be connected, yeah. but then yes. I think there are times where we are maybe a bit more disconnected because of social media. I think so. I, so. I, I think, I think sometimes when we, when we, when we allow, you know, the Twitter bots to and the Instagram bots and the Facebook bots to direct our thought processes, that's the danger. And that's what's been happening. I think. I find myself and that's kind of like, you know, one of the problems also for me in this book is I've been pulling away from social media and then social media has become the way to promote yourself and these types of things. So I have to find, I have to, yeah, I have to find ways to engage in a positive way uh, and, and, and navigate around a lot of the negative stuff that's just out there, you know? Yeah. I feel you on that. Like, even just like, for me, like I'm like trying to grow black and raw and things like that. It's like mm-hmm. I I have to well, I don't necessarily have to be, but to reach out, you gotta be on Instagram, you gotta be on Twitter, you gotta be on and like I just find myself mm-hmm. going on my phone any like the phones are addictive anyway, just in general. But <laughs> yeah. I find myself just scrolling yeah. through it. But then I'm like, yeah. oh, I need to post up something because I need to get this or get that. And like mm-hmm. I yeah, f- for me, like that's why. On personally for me on Sundays I try to just do like a no phone no social media I don't it doesn't uh, always go well but I usually yeah. just leave my phone in my bedroom and go and do something else because you have to have those moments where you kind of like exhale from you know all of that you know stuff and, and give yourself some time to just kind of like just kind of focus so yeah I, I hear you because you, 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 otherwise you find yourself you can't turn it off that's mm. what I find when you, when you spend so much of the time in the day in your head about all those things at night when you need to rest, I find you can't, you, you're constantly still thinking about those things. Yeah. It makes it harder. Definitely. Um, mm. And so I wanted to uh, go back to sort of when we were talking about our scars are our birthmarks. Um, mm-hmm. And I did, I really, I really like that because I think it is important for us to recognize where our scars are and sort of mm-hmm. they are a part of this, like, I've got like my, like I broke my leg in COVID, it was COVID, it was January, 2020. 
I broke my leg and now I've got a fat scar. You fall a lot. You fall a lot. You you told me you also injured your arm as well. I was thinking about this. I was like, for the first 20, 22 years of my life, I never had an accident, never broken okay. a bone, nothing. Okay. And then these mm-hmm. next last two years, it's like, what the hell has happened to me? Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you broke your, you, and you broke a leg, and you said, yeah, you, you, exactly. Your arm had to be popped back in place. That sounds yeah. quite painful. <laughs> so, yeah, they gave me a lot of gas in there, so <laughs> it really helped. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> But like, I will look at this scar now and sort of like during that time, there was COVID. I had to go back home. Things weren't going right with my girlfriend at the time. And sort of, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a sad moment, but like mm-hmm. I will sort of, I'll look at it and I'll remember sort of that time, but it only has made me sort of stronger now because now I'm going to focus on building my ankle strength. And I remember sort of the good things about that relationship and the bad things, but also maybe Mm. how I want to grow from it. So Mm -hmm. it it is important for us to be able to look at our scars and reflect positively and negatively because you learn from both. Yeah. 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 Because you can't, it's, it's, when you run with somebody, it's just old saying, I believe I'm not sure if I'm going to get it right, but you can't run away from yourself because where are you going to run to that you're not going to find yourself? Because everywhere you are, there you are. You know what I mean? Mm. And so you have to eventually, I feel like a lot of times the people who don't address those issues or the people who are late in life, who I find are very destructive to themselves and in their relationships. Um, and I think to me, that's not a lot, a lot of times a sign that a person hasn't really addressed whatever internal demons he or she has is that they're very destructive, you know, towards the people around them, you know, and, you know, whatever type of relationship, whether it's romantic or friendship or, or, uh, or familial, you know, they're very destructive because you've never really addressed those things. And you can't be afraid to look, you know, uh, in, you know, just like as we learn to accept our physical features, you know, our concept of beauty of ourselves, we also have to learn to accept the whole totality of ourselves and what's, a particular event did to us and you know how it affects us now we have to understand that yeah definitely how can how can we start to embrace our scars and heal from them and reflect on them like what do you maybe do that you think helps you with that but also maybe what can people do just in general to 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 go back to the those mentally to to go back and and remember those those times those things that you feel are those major issues events in your life that made you feel less than that you feel are continuing to dog you now you have to literally take the con the uh, Kiswahili concept of sankofa and go back and get it. You have to go back and get it and look at it and address it and and, and find and, and understand what that event did to you and how that affects you now. You know, and I like I give you uh, I've shared this before as a young kid, I, I saw a, a black woman who was in a relationship with a young man who lived across the street from us where I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And whatever the relationship was, it was a negative, toxic relationship because he eventually set her on fire. And Gosh. I was 11 years old and I saw a young you know, black woman running from her home across the street. And there were and it was it's, it was so it was surreal. 
because as I remember it back, it, it kind of like gives me, it, it, it informs me about a number of things about life. You know what I'm saying? In, in the weirdest way. And it was like a group of black women happened to be outside and they received her and like they took off, they literally took off their shirts and jackets and were like beating the flames out on her. You know, these were women. And it was like women with that moment were taking care of women. You understand? Yeah. As I, you know, thought about it back then in the moment, of course, I wasn't getting all these signals for myself, but it's like it was when I thought back about it, I saw a group of women helping another sister who was in trouble. That's what black women do. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, it it also helped me understand that it also. I guess for me, it solidified the value of a person's life. But it also solidified for me that there are types of people out here who will never value you as much as you value yourself or other people value. And you have to distance yourself from that, you know. And so um, it, it taught me, like I said, that one, the support of women is important. And it taught me, too, that um, patriarchy is a real thing and that we need to address patriarchy in the black community so that black women and black children not be hurt. And this is not a, a pile on for black men. As you know, black men have a number of issues, but many of those issues were given to us by white supremacy. It doesn't necessarily completely allow us to abdicate from our responsibilities, but it also takes a deeper layered look at why we are where we are now. You understand, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that doesn't make sense, yeah. Um, and I think it's in like it's important to also be able to see that because like obviously like black the black women are just an like an as not aspect but like they're part of what it means to be a black man like mm. we're entwined like we we're together in that um, and sort of understanding how black women are and how they function I think it is it's important because it's also just understanding other people they're understanding what to them. We seem to have forgotten how integral part that black women are and that black women are human and black women have emotions and they have needs and uh, they need to be addressed, you know. And um, yeah, it, it, so that moment, I guess you say, taught me as I got older and I look back on that. And there's a couple of poems where um, that comes where I kind of like look at that and it's just like it really was impactful on me and it teaches you a lot. And so that's what I mean. You have to go back and look at those. That's one moment, you know, one of those things that happened. There's another situation that happened for me, like I can remember as a kid in high school, we were going on a field trip and one of the a black teacher, one of the counselors said to us as we were getting ready to go to, I think it was to the St. Louis Museum uh, for a particular uh, exhibit. And she said to us directly, when you get there, make sure, when you get there, make sure you, uh, you, uh, you control your behavior, you know, cause you don't want to have be misbehaving in front of all these white folks when you get downtown. Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those, and I thought to myself, it, it taught me that, that there were different types of black folks and how they viewed themselves in America. There were black folks because there were black teachers who found out that she had said those things to who were immediately upset with her and that were like, you know, you don't, we don't code switch like that simply because we go, we be, we teach our children to the best of who they are, no matter where they are, whether it's there, whether they're home or in the streets or at school, who you are is who you are all the time. Mm. And that, but that taught me a lesson that everybody does not see being black the same way. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, definitely. Like, 
I think even just sort of um, where sort of black and raw sort of were birthed from is that people had one view of what being black is in terms of that you should be this way because you're black or you should be a certain way because you're black. Um, Correct. And, <laughs> someone else oh, saying apologies. <laughs> As, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I fully see what you mean because there's some people that would maybe to try and fit into the world put their blackness down and that there's those that are more maybe I don't know if more brave is the word but are able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and sort of mm-hmm. be able to be themselves um so yeah I understand where that woman come from because I definitely have heard the same thing in terms of like you need to behave wherever you're going now and right right like, right even in an African sense um your like your parents would say to you that oh, make sure when you go to this person's house, you behave and you're respectful because it's a reflection upon us. And I and like, as a kid, you're like, mm, okay, I guess so. But like, <laughs> I guess I can yeah. do this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, 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 at the same time, you, you get that you want to, in that moment when I thought back as, a, as an adult, I, get, I understood that she wanted us to carry ourselves in a respectful manner. But the, the lens through which she was looking at, she was looking at it from the lens that we need to be looked at as respectful by white people. And that's the most important thing, as opposed to you need to learn not to disrespect yourself. That's the most important thing. And, mm-hmm. and not to also, you also disrespect, you know, the community from which you come from by behaving in such a manner. You know what I mean? It's not about proving yourself to another group of people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. So, um, Orlando, um, I've loved this yeah. whole conversation we've had. Yes, sir. Um, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, I appreciate I, you having me, man. It's been a beautiful conversation. I <laughs> no, it's been good. It's been good. Um, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to ask you sort of a final question that I ask all the guests at the end of the podcast. All right. Um, for sure. So, say there's a young black man that's sort of discovering their masculinity, like discovering who it means to be themselves. How do you think either some Something you know or something that this conversation can sort of help them with that understanding you mean just understanding themselves and, and respecting themselves as a black man yeah 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 i would say the biggest thing is that to know that you have value you have value in in existing as you are where you are right now you know what I'm saying? There's, you know, there's nothing that you have to prove to somebody in order to be who you are, in order to be as black as you want to be, to be as strong as you want to be, and to be as intelligent as you need to be. You don't need anybody approval for that. You know what I'm saying? That your being here says that you have all the, the approval to be just that. And you and we need to start leaning into that. I once told, uh, I was watching this one program. And I want to say it was the uh, Roland Martin uh, news program here that comes on in the States. It's, he broadcasts on the on YouTube as well. And there was an individual on there and they were talking about our former president, uh, uh, former president Trump, Trump. And he made the statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys got your version over there now. <laughs> but uh, he made the statement, this uh, individual, he said that black men, need to carry themselves with the amount of pride that some of the most mediocre white men carry themselves with. And he spoke when he said, you know, you know, he looked at, you know, this president has is one of the most mediocre individuals in business and politics and all kinds of things. And he's only big on his racism and his hateful rhetoric. He says, so black men need to learn how to be just as confident themselves 
in their prolificness as some of these people are in their mediocrity. And that really like, wow, that was like a really powerful statement for me. And so I, I tell that, I honestly tell that to a lot of brothers who we might in conversation have, you know, issues about a particular thing at work or doubt themselves about whatever, you know, you need to recognize that you have a lot of talent, you have a lot of power and that you you don't have to apologize as a black man that you exist and that there have, you have things in your heart, you have things, emotions inside of you that you're trying to address. Yeah, your value. And there's no one who can take that from you. Yeah, no words to add on to that. And also no yeah, thank you. on Bar Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish you all the best with that situation. Uh, be, honestly, it's not lasting long. I don't think it is, but that's, yeah. Yeah, like I said, that's a, you know, there's a current, there's a running theme because the, la- the episode I recorded yesterday, um, they mentioned politics. So, gotcha. <laughs> ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you said it's not long for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yes, um, Orlando, thank you very much uh, for coming on and talking, uh, talking to you. Thank me. you for having me. I really um, appreciate it and, and look forward to the next time I can come on and talk. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, you know what? I mean, one day I'd love to be able to travel with the podcast. So if I'm there in the awesome. US, yeah, definitely. I'm definitely. You got a you got a place on the west coast to lay your head. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Thank you, uh, thank you, you listener, um, for getting to the end of this episode, um, and thank you, Orlando, for coming onto the podcast to talk about uh, your experiences, your life, um, your book. Um, rest in peace for your niece as well. Um, I apologize for your loss. Um, but yeah, thank you. Just thank you again, man. Thank you for coming on and just being open and honest and raw. Um, I loved hearing about you as a child. Sounded like a nerdy child, but I love it. I was a nerdy child too, so that's that's what we live for. <laughs> um, and how you've kept that sense of play um, in your adult life. I think that's really important. Um, and we talk about that um, in another episode um, that was episode 5 with Dwight Turner um, so go have a listen to that if you want to find out more about having a sense of play in your adult life um, and how he's done it and so yeah I really enjoyed that um, and I really liked the reflection um, on how you've turned your scars into birthmarks I think it's just really appropriate um, well, it's quite thematic for the conversation, but then also I think it's really good for people to be able to do that and be able to digest how to do it. Um, and so the question for today, um, for you, yes, we need you, <laughs> is how can you turn your scars into bath marks? So if you're on Spotify, if you listen on Spotify, you can answer that question. If not, um, just reply back to me um, on social media, Instagram, Twitter, um, TikTok. Um, just, yeah, tell me how you've done it or tell me how you're thinking of doing it. So I hope you guys liked this episode. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for getting to the end. Please rate and review the podcast. Um, you can also share it to your mates and your friends, anyone you think, anyone you think um, should listen to this. So thank you again. Um, if you want to buy um, Orlando's book, um, I'm going to put it in the show notes so you can just check it out there. But yeah, guys, I think that's everything. I don't, don't think I have any more to say. 
<laughs> so uh, thank you for listening. Um, and we'll talk soon. <laughs>